Our text for this afternoon is Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. So let's read this passage together and find that on page 819. Matthew 13, starting at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So far. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, as the story goes, in late 1946, a group of teenage boys, shepherds, were watching their, their goats in a region of Qumran in the West Bank of Israel, about 40 kilometers east of Jerusalem. One of them went off after a stray, and wandering around the steep limestone hills, he tossed a rock into a deep crevice in the side of a cliff and he heard the sound of breaking pots. So, a group of them together managed to climb up into the cave and found a collection of clay jars, some broken and empty, but some still intact. When they opened one, they found that it contained small scraps of parchment paper. A little disappointing, perhaps, for a teenager, but very exciting for the scholars that eventually traced down the location of this cave. After that day, and over a course of nine years, 11 caves were found in the area, containing hundreds of fragments, of parchment fragments, and even complete scrolls, some over 2,000 years old. Perhaps you've heard the story before. These are the famous Dead Sea Scrolls a fairly recent discovery of ancient Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek manuscripts that were buried by a small Jewish community around the time of Christ. Among these, among these fragments are passages from almost every book in the Old Testament. Many, or most of these, are the oldest copies that we have of the biblical text, a priceless historical treasure, which still contributes to our, to our understanding when the world, in the world when Jesus lived. Now, most of these manuscripts were parchment. Some were papyrus, but one found in a third cave was made of copper. A copper scroll, different than all the rest, which listed the location and contents of 64 hiding spots. It is quite literally an ancient treasure map, a real treasure map written in Hebrew. Each entry in the list provides a general location, directions to a specific location, the distance or depth to dig, and a record of what you would find if you did dig there. For example, the first line in the scroll says, in the ruin that is in the valley of Achor, under the staircase, with the entrance at the east, a distance of 40 cubits, there lies a strong box of silver and its vessels with a weight of 17 talents. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? Just imagine, a real treasure map. 
real buried treasure. For many of us, it's the stuff of lore and legends, and legends abound throughout history. A delightful childhood pursuit. Perhaps you can think back with fondness at a time when you've made your own treasure map. Well, with these two parables before us this afternoon, this is how our Lord illustrates the value of the kingdom of heaven, by comparing it to the discovery of a treasure buried in a field and finding the pearl of pearls. The theme of the sermon this afternoon is, the wise Christ reveals the value of his kingdom. This kingdom's value brings joy unexpected, satisfies the seeker, surpasses all earthly measure. So first, this kingdom's value brings unexpected joy. In Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46, we find two more parables about the kingdom of heaven. As we, as we read Matthew 13, we learn that his whole collection of parables reveals something about the presence of the kingdom. Remember that at this time, our Lord and his disciples had gone through the Judean countryside proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see this in Matthew 4, verse 17, and Matthew 10, verse 7. This kingdom, the kingdom of God, was foretold by the prophets. It was a kingdom that would be established on earth, and it was already in heaven, Matthew 6, verse 10, a kingdom over which God would rule as king and in which all citizens would gladly submit to his call, a kingdom which has already begun to take shape through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it was not easy to see or recognize this kingdom on earth. It did not meet the expectations of the Jewish people. This kingdom was not a political kingdom. It has no physical borders on earth, no capital city, no ethnic majority. It would not be established by some grand display of power or conquest. No, it would begin very small. The last two parables, the mustard seed and leaven, compared the kingdom of heaven to something very small. The purpose of these parables was to reveal the hidden potential of this kingdom. This kingdom will grow. Over time, it grows. Even today, hidden in the, way in, hidden in the hearts and lives of believers, until the final day when the full glory of this kingdom will be revealed to the whole world. The message is very clear. Do not underestimate what God will do with such a small beginning. What he has done with a demonstration of weakness will establish a kingdom that cannot fail. So, after comparing the kingdom to something very small, our Lord adds two more parables in order to reveal the hidden value of this kingdom. Again, these two parables fall in line with the major theme found in Matthew 13 that of something hidden, waiting to be revealed. The treasure is hidden in a field. This word is used twice in verse 44. And in the same way, the one pearl of great value is just waiting there to be found. And so it is with the kingdom of God, hidden in order to be revealed at the appointed time and to those whom God chooses. And so our chief prophet and teacher reveals the secrets of the kingdom to his disciples with these two parables, precisely because they are his secrets to reveal. The first parable in verse 44 compares the kingdom to a treasure hidden in a field. 
A man, by all accounts, a common laborer, works in a field that he does not own. And while he digs around in the dirt, he finds a treasure. In the ancient world, this was a real possibility, especially during times of uncertainty or war. It was common enough to bury valuable things. This is what was done to safeguard or hide personal possessions. We can think, for example, of the unfaithful steward in the parable of the talents who buried his master's money in the ground. It was the easiest and safest thing to do. We read that in Matthew 25, verse 18 and 25. So it did happen occasionally that while plowing a field or planting a tree, some valuable treasure would be unearthed. In fact, in some parts of the world, it still happens today. Now, this man immediately recognizes the value of what he has found. He wants to make it his own, and so he covers it up again. And as it says, in his joy, he goes and immediately sells everything that he has to buy that field and possess this treasure. Now, we could pause here, like some theologians do, and question the legality of his actions. There are some ethical concerns here, perhaps. A comparative study of all the Roman and Jewish laws at this time indicate that here we are in some, something of a legal gray area. So whether what he does here is right or wrong is questionable. And we could then try to work out what all this means for our interpretation. But then I'm afraid we will lose the meaning of this parable. We are then less like attentive disciples and more like Pharisees. You see, it's obvious why this man does what he does. He finds treasure. So he hides this treasure again so that no one else will find it. He wants to make it his own. And so he sells everything that he has to buy that field. To everybody else who does not know what he knows, his actions are unexplainable at best. Sell what? Buy what? Why this particular field? And why now? But to this man and to us, his actions are perfectly understandable. He is overwhelmed with joy and excitement. He has a secret. He knows exactly what lies in the ground. And he has seen the treasure, and he knows its worth more than he now has. Just to think, just think about how this man might feel. This is hope against hope, a cherished secret, real joy, barely contained. He's nervous. He's thrilled. Imagine his journey home to sell all his possessions. Does he walk? Does he run? With this secret hidden in his heart, it wouldn't take much to make this man smile or laugh or even betray that secret if you ask the right questions. Just think about how such a man might feel. The joy of discovery. In the morning, he woke up to just another day of hard work in the hot sun. And now, he's selling everything. That's what the treasure made him do. Sure, maybe there are some legal questions to be resolved at some point. But wow, just look, there it is. Brothers and sisters, we have come very quickly to the meaning of this parable for the disciples. And for everyone who received this parable from the lips of our Lord, Jesus was right there. And look, there he is, standing in front of them, the kind of man who grew up from the kind of child that drew the honor and praise and priceless treasure from men far from the east, the kind of man who revealed the glory of God in heaven, who revealed wisdom from above and knowledge of spiritual things, 
who performed miracles, who healed the lame and gave sight to the blind. They had the very man who would be king among them. While they were fishing from boats, plowing in fields, buying or selling or collecting taxes, Matthew for example, the kingdom had come to them. It was, it was present in the ministry of Jesus, only waiting to be recognized. The Son of God had come to the people of Israel saying, just look, I am here, follow me. I can't tell you everything, but I know the plans that my Father has for you. You see, this was not a time to question his words or to argue with him about matters of the law. This was a time to enjoy the presence of the Lord Jesus, time to celebrate and participate in the preview of God's kingdom. Now was a time to rejoice. He was there, God among men, the bridegroom courting his beloved bride. When the Pharisees asked Christ when the kingdom would come, he said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. We read that in Luke 17. When the disciples of John together with the Pharisees came to Jesus to ask why his disciples did not fast, he said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? You see, Jesus basically asks them, what time is it? This is no time to mourn, no time to fast. This is a time for joy. Guys, didn't you get the invitation? I sent it. I sent it through Moses, through David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, John the Baptist. They were all waiting for eager anticipation for today. Now is the time of fullness. There is a time to weep and also a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn and also a time to dance, as we read in Ecclesiastes. A time for joy in the presence of Christ. The kingdom of heaven had come down to the world of men, and the world was invited to receive it with joy, to receive Jesus with joy. Brothers and sisters, this parable of Jesus was an invitation for the disciples to recognize the season in which they lived. In the progression of God's great plan of salvation, as time moves us all towards the great wedding feast of the Lamb, they lived during one of the best seasons of all. We can ask ourselves the same question. Do you recognize what time it is? Do you see what a great blessing God has given to you that you now live after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after receiving knowledge of the kingdom through the parables preserved for you in scripture, this kingdom is freely offered to those who were born into a believing family. It is practically placed at your feet, waiting for you to discover the true worth. And when you see it, it will fill you with joy and excitement and wonderful confidence. This joy will fill you as your knowledge grows and will motivate you to do some surprising things in service to God. Things that the world will never understand because you have a cherished secret, a precious hope. You have real joy, barely contained in this short walk home. To live in this kingdom is to participate in treasure, brothers and sisters. Is that the expression of your life? What has this treasure made you do? 
Is the gospel you live, the gospel that you declare, worthy of this label? Is it worthy of real joy? The apostle writes in Romans 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now in the second place, we will see that this kingdom's value satisfies the seeker. If we return to our story at the beginning of this sermon for just a moment, it's worth noting that the discovery of the copper scroll in the third cave at Qumran became something of a sensation. A scholar named John Marco Allegro, together with a team from a university in England, managed to open the scroll and translate its contents. Then in 1962, he led an expedition to a number of the locations given in the scroll. However, they came up empty-handed. The treasure had long since been found or stolen. They went searching for treasure, and they came back unsatisfied. Now, this is not the case in our second parable. The second parable is about a man who seeks and then finds. The main character in this parable is very different than the last. He is a merchant, a businessman, not a laborer a man trained to recognize value, not trained to dig into the dirt. Rich, not poor, experienced in the ways of the world, ranging far and wide, not digging in a field that belongs to someone else. And yet, as this parable reveals, both men share in the joy of discovery. As different as they are at that precious moment, when they recognize the value of the thing in front of them, they are exactly the same, united as brothers in true joy, you could say. Now, this merchant was in search of pearls. Pearls were rare and valued for their beauty. Both the luster and the shape of the pearl were unusual in the ancient world. They were valued so much that the word for pearl became a figure of speech for something that holds supreme value. Pearls come from various places around the world. And so a merchant might range far and wide in search of such a treasure, as countless people have done and are still doing. The reality is, brothers and sisters, that all life is seeking for value. All men search for pearls, in a manner of speaking. Some for wealth, some for pleasure, others for wisdom or for power. We can think of the ambitions of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he applied his heart to seek and search out wisdom and increase in knowledge. He tested his heart with pleasure, food, and wine, impressive cultural projects, and all the beautiful things of this world, seeking, searching to fulfill all the desires in his heart. And so this merchant, in a way, represents all men, all life. He is searching for things of value. He sought for pearls. And then he found one, worth more than all the rest combined, the pearl of pearls, the most valuable, worthwhile thing he had ever seen. And so this man went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so we now see the meaning of this parable built on the last. If the hidden treasure taught us about the worth of the kingdom just waiting to be recognized and received with joy, then this parable teaches us that it is worth searching for. If the first parable, parable 
reveals that such a treasure exists, the second parable encourages us to seek it and to search for it intently with the skill and determination and commitment of a merchant or any man who knows the true value of what he searches for. Brothers and sisters, this teaching has very practical consequences for the chosen disciples. They were instructed to, to first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to give up all that they had and follow the Lord Jesus as he ministered in the countryside. And now with these parables, Jesus encourages them by revealing the promised reward for obedience, a treasure worth more than they could hope or expect. The confidence we have through this parable is found in a happy ending, that if you search for the kingdom of heaven, you will not search in vain. You will not be left unsatisfied. If you seek, you will find. So take up this treasure hunt, brothers and sisters. Search like the Queen of Sheba, whose love for wisdom and knowledge drew her from the ends of the earth to find one Solomon, the royal representative of God. Search for the love of wisdom, and you will find the one who is greater than Solomon. Search like the wise men who came from far from the east to Jerusalem, seeking the king of the Jews, the appointed one of an appointed people. Search for that same king, and you will find the king of kings. Search to satisfy the strongest desire in your heart. Your relationship with God is the most important thing in life. So seek reconciliation with God. Seek salvation. Seek and you will find. Knock and the kingdom will be open to you. Ask and you will receive. Repent and you will be forgiven. It's worth the search. It's worth more than you can imagine. Now we will see that this kingdom's value surpasses earthly measure. There is one more thing that both merchants, the merchant and the field hand have in common. Both share in the joy of discovery and both demonstrate the same total commitment to acquire the treasure. They respond in exactly the same way. Both men leave and sell all that they had to get what they want. They do it for joy and they do it for the certain knowledge that the object of desire is worth more, much more than they now have. There is no question that they are trading up. Cost is not a consideration because they recognize the true value of the treasure. The cost is far surpassed by the reward. The reward is completely out of proportion with the cost. This is how we should think about the value of God's kingdom. Our Lord impresses this on his disciples. I tell you the truth, he said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, or for my name, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There is no earthly measure that we can use to quantify the value of God's kingdom. All the land in the world, all the money in the world, all the wisdom and knowledge and beauty in this world, every earthly relationship that you enjoy, whatever might hold value in this life, you can add it all up. And it is nothing compared to what waits for you in the kingdom of God. You see, in the minds of these two men, they were not making a sacrifice. They were making an exchange, one worth every penny. 
Brothers and sisters, when we think about the kingdom, we should have the mind of Moses, as we read Hebrews 11, verse 25, who refused to be called the son of his adopted mother, Pharaoh's daughter, who chose rather to be mistreated with, God, with the people of God, who considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for a reward, to the reward. When we think about the kingdom, we should have the mind of Christ, who, what does it say in Hebrews 12, verse two? Who for the joy that has been set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy set before him, did he walk to the cross? Did he run to the cross? He did make a sacrifice. He gave up a place before the Father's throne to come to earth. He gave up all that he has received, every earthly blessing, to obtain for you an eternal inheritance, to buy with his precious blood for you a kingdom of supreme value. Brothers and sisters, the value of this kingdom is worth your total commitment. The reward is completely out of proportion with the cost. Nothing else can compare. So find Jesus Christ, your Savior, and stand ready to sell all, to abandon all those things you once treasured, all your old patterns of life, your possessions, your earthly relationships, even life itself for the kingdom, for this kingdom. If you have a saving interest in Christ, you must be willing to give up everything for him. We seek the riches of Christ to make him our own so that he will claim us as his own on the last day. You might pay too much for gold. You can't pay too much for the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, there is one last thing I'd like to mention. It will give you a little insight into the process of writing a sermon. It can be difficult to find a fitting illustration, and you have to be very careful about illustrations because, unfortunately, it's what people remember. But found in the caves of Qumran is a gift that keeps on giving. The Copper Scroll, that ancient treasure map, was found in the third cave of Qumran. Do you know what else was found in that cave? A small scrap of parchment with these words, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. The words of Psalm 2, verse 6 and 7, an ancient prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Another treasure map a different treasure map, which leads us to the divine son, enthroned on high as the king of his kingdom. Remarkable, isn't it? One cave, two treasure maps. Which one will you follow? Amen.